0: I've got the lovely team from Untangled with me today, so Untangled is a a wonderful service and a community to help people with grief following grief so helping out with the practical and the emotional sides of things sure um thanks so we are on a mission
1: to revolutionize the support people get at the hardest moments of their life so we're starting with bereavement but we're also moving on to things like retirement and divorce and the way we do that is we hold people's hands through all of the practical emotional and social challenges that come after a loss so that's everything you know from bills to wills to therapy to finding a rugby club with other widowers
0: in your area that is us wow Mm -hmm. and um so you're emily just so that everybody knows voices i always forget people can't because i can see you right now we're doing this on (laughs) zoom that was emily and emily if you want to tell us just a bit about about kind of you and then we can introduce emma sure
1: So I'm Emily. (laughs) My background is business strategy. Um, I was working with early stage uh, startups and also uh, innovation hubs within corporates. And I guess for me, the thing that really excites me is the idea of uh, two things. One, using the private sector to really change society for better. I think purpose and profit can be really entwined and that's where Untangle sits. And the other thing is really supporting and helping people at the times when they need need it the most in their lives. I've had losses in my personal life and my family, and Mm. those things have led me to think, wait a minute, (laughs) um, this needs to change. And yeah, and then I met Emma. So Emma, you can introduce (laughs) yourself. Should
2: I introduce myself now? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so I'm Emma. My background is, I'm a software engineer. So I was working in FinTech before starting Untangle. And similarly to Emily, I'd had personal losses in my life. My dad died three years ago after having terminal lung cancer for a while. And me, my mom and my sister were confronted with this problem when he died, that there was just so much to do, so many bits and pieces. And they were all very siloed. You could talk to a lawyer about probate, or you could go to the GP or find a therapist to talk about how your feelings were. But it felt so separated when actually they were two sides of the same coin. And so my mum, she would open a bill that was addressed to my dad and she would start crying because even though that was a very practical issue, it was also highly emotional. Mm. And I just felt that there was nothing out there that was really serving that purpose that was looking at her holistically. And you know, as Emily said, guiding her through all the different, many stage gates of things that she had to do. I was like, this is shit. <laughs> I'm a software engineer. Yeah. This could be done so much better. This could be built so much better with um, people at the heart of it. And then me and Emily met and we decided to do just that. So it's been a really exciting couple of months. Yeah,
0: and I guess we met probably just as the pandemic was kicking off. Probably around April time. so It's been really great for me to follow what you've been doing and see some of the new things that you've been you've been adding. But just before we started recording this, you mentioned something really interesting, which was like how in a community like Life Plus, does does something like Untangled fit in? And you brought up a really interesting point, Emily, just around the fact that Life Plus is about joy, delight, and a little bit moments of happiness every day. And you asked a really good question, which was, well, doesn't this seem like the opposite? But actually, I would say a nice way to think of how things intersect is that you're trying to bring that joy back and help people with the new normal. And I think the sm- it's all about like the life plus is all about small things in life, whether that is a new beauty product that you're using or uh, a piece of technology that helps you listen to like music or a podcast. You are doing things as small as but also as big as okay let me help you with those bills that are addressed to your dad your loved one let's see how we can sort that out but then also wrapping that emotional support along with it i guess that's how things would join up does that kind of answer your question
1: yeah i think the kind of anti-life plus life plus (laughs) moment and i think there is a common misconception that grief and joy are can't exist in conjunction and in parallel Mm. and they can and I think that's why from what we've seen especially people find grief so confusing because you go through so many different emotions all at once Mm.
0: and
1: and it's also why people stop asking how someone is because they're like oh they look happy and we all know Mm -hmm. that they look happy and you can not cry for a whole meal and you can not bring the topic of grief or your loss up but still
0: be experiencing it and um it's that's what makes us human right yeah definitely Mm. like it's just I don't know about when you guys have experienced loss but has it has it felt like binary either happy or sad or is it just it's just confusing because it's mixed
2: yeah I think you just feel everything all at once (laughs) that's the problem yeah and there's that really beautiful quote grief is love with nowhere to go Mm. and I think that's true because you you have these relationships in your life really strong relationships and then if that person dies and they aren't they don't exist anymore, it's not like your relationship with that person suddenly doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That relationship continues and you adapt and you learn a new world, a new normal mm-hmm. where that presence isn't in your life anymore. So I think as Emily was saying, there's there's a lot of conflicting. There's a with grief itself in the most kind of purest form there's a lot of conflicting feelings. But that is only made worse and more stressful by the ever presence of going through probate and finding a cancer and sorting out, like calling, you have to call around 40 different companies to inform them of a death. And that is both feels unnecessary and also highly stressful when actually you're in such a raw emotional state.
0: It's not a slow process, is it? Do you know how long it takes on average to, I guess, on the admin side of things, sort things out?
1: So it takes a year on average to administer an estate, mm. um, but that doesn't then include things like, afterwards, do you want to pack up and sell that house? And actually a lot of people are, end up rewriting their wills and buying insurance kind of beyond that first year. That's the pressing stuff that you have to do first, and then
0: yeah.
1: uh, there's a lot more afterwards.
0: Yeah. In a practical sense, how does Untangled kind of help? What is it that you offer first? Sure.
1: Emma and I work out here. <laughs> I'll take it, I'll take it.
2: So, it's your hand wave. <laughs> yeah. Um so obviously someone would come to us, they would tell us a bit more about their situation. So each loss is very unique and the things that you will be faced with will differ depending on the situation, also your relationship to that person. So if someone like my mum came to our service, she would let us know that her husband had passed away, This this was how many weeks ago it was, this is where she's up to. And then we could really understand her and we could guide her through the different steps and hold her hand. And I think a really key point here is people don't know what they need to do until they're confronted with it Mm -hmm. nobody is preparing for when their loved ones are going to die and in what order they're going to close accounts and things like that so actually so much of the overwhelm that people are faced with is actually just having no idea what to do and no idea where to turn Mm. and it's a really strange time in your life where all of a sudden in the space of a few weeks you're being confronted by huge decisions that you they're they're not light decisions they're you know what are you going to do with most of your financial estate where are you going to put your pension etc and you have to make them really quickly with not that much advice and not that much support so the kind of scenario that you're in is a real rare one but you won't go through that again in your life so we really help you understand the different choices you have, help you find the right help, the right guidance and also at the right time.
1: And we work with amazing partners across the board, legal, financial, therapists, healthcare, wellbeing, life coaches who are rated and vetted by us and our community to make sure that you are working with the best people to help you at that particular time
0: interesting. You bring up like a really good point there which is how can you trust people that are helping you and how do you vet them and you mentioned that community there. How have you built up this community and and what part do they play in your business?
1: The community,
0: We. what's
1: really interesting is that people are looking for help and so we've, there's an amazing grief community on Instagram and on Facebook so we've been building our communities there, we've connected with a lot of grief Great grief accounts and a lot of media outlets have got in touch who are interested in the space. I think with COVID it's very topical. We've been working with we were in the Evening Standard and the BBC podcast, we're about to be in the Times, which is really exciting. Oh wow, that's so cool. Yeah, but actually the the thing that's really great is that people, you know, are sharing, they're commenting, they're saving a lot of what we're doing. So we did a collaboration with Sasha Bates, who's um a psychotherapist and author who wrote about grief and uh we illustrated a lot of the tips that she had about how to support people who are grieving Mm -hmm. and that was shared a lot because actually everyone is aware that this is something that exists one of these taboos and help. so our community's growing quite organically and then looking to the future we're starting to talk to brilliant charities hospices and organizations who are working with people and supporting people at the end of life and uh, as we're looking to the future where we're working
2: Yeah, and I think brand is something that is so important to us and building trust within our community. As Emily mentioned, making sure that our products are vetted, making sure we're constantly taking feedback from our community about their experiences um, and really designing with users at the heart of everything we're doing because this is such a human problem and it's such a sensitive problem as well. And I think understanding the vulnerability that people have at those points in their lives is very important. And it's important work that we do as a business because ultimately treating our customers with respect and integrity for for the loss and for the changes that are going on in their life is really important. Definitely, you know, we're a tech company, but at the heart of what we're doing, it's, it's very human-to-human interaction. Me and Emily have both had these experiences and we've felt these losses. And really, we want to make it better for people so they don't have to go through the same experiences that we did.
0: Really, I guess that's a great point around you guys being a technology company. Do you think that, do you think we'll ever get to a point where we can use technology to? truly help us through every part of of grief there's obviously the admin part of it but then there's the emotional support part of it do you think that technology can solve that problem
2: i think technology has i'm sure emily will have completely different thoughts to me (laughs) i think technology has the capability to you know make people's lives a lot easier and actually we talk a lot about it being the secondary losses Mm -hmm. so the things like the admin the calling up the different bank like calling up the different utility companies the different bank accounts sorting out the pay um finding providers in your area that do a certain thing all that stuff and like sending death certificates etc all kind of faff that is systematic Mm -hmm and it's not really been thought through from the perspective of the person that has to do it. So I think in terms of enabling or using technology in a way to make someone's life easier, all of that can completely be um, made much better using technology. I think we're super aware that we never want to um, minimize grief because it is a very real experience and it's a very human experience and i don't think there's ever going to be like a technological fix to make Mm -hmm. that go away um and that's definitely not what we're trying to do we're trying to take away the unnecessary burden of grief away from people so actually they can focus on maybe some of those life climates you know with their friends their families sharing memories if that if grieving to them means sitting in bed watching tv and crying then that's absolutely fine and actually more time should be spent doing that than sorting out
0: emily have got something to say <laughs>
2: i was gonna say
1: i completely agree with that oh my god <laughs> that's good <laughs> actually emma had a great analogy a while ago which is we it's a bit of a strange thing he kind of uses the image of a cookie and this is early <laughs> days when we were from on this, and that you had like a cookie cut for that person and you know the cookie is their life and the cookie cutter takes the person out which is a very kind of sad Mm. image but what you're left is their entire life like all of their household things their admin their digital presence um and you have so many that that whole ecosystem at the moment i mean our lives are half offline and half online and that is what you inherit and so we have to address those things where they are but also find ways of improving the way we interface with Earth.
0: organizations and yeah. And I hadn't thought about that because that point around living half online, half offline. If people don't know your passwords and and that sort of stuff, it can be really, must be really sad to either see a live Instagram account or emails, that kind of thing. And I just don't know how you would even begin to think about shutting it down. I guess that's like an added layer of complexity.
1: Um, And actually one of the big concerns that often comes up is Am I going to lose my photos, their photos? Am I going to lose things like voice messages? Mm. And and how can you back those things up and save them and um, keep them whilst also obviously closing all the accounts?
2: Yeah, I think there's a really interesting intersectionality that we're kind of exploring at the moment is lending from almost like B2B SaaS business models, this idea of life as a service and actually why can't you outsource all of this like mm. why can't you pass this admin this burden onto someone else and say look please sort this out for me it's too much for me right now and free up that individual's time to actually go through the things that really matter yeah. uh, that's that's what we're trying to do and it's feels it feels easy that that it hasn't been done before and that actually that there's been no innovation in this space at all so i think we're really excited about how we can help people in in these really difficult, life-changing moments.
0: Yeah, okay. there hasn't been that much kind of done to deal with death and use technology in death as much as life. Did you both have the idea when you went to Zinc to do something to do with death? So
1: I was very interested or am very interested in big life changes and how they can impact the trajectory of your life. So, you know, I watched my parents go through divorce, I watched my grandpa pass away, and I started seeing kind of patterns in the needs Mm. and also the negative impact that the kind of lack of support and the overwhelmingness created. And um, in terms of looking at the business hat on, it's much easier to help someone when they know they have a problem and they're looking for a solution and often in these moments of life you know pe- consumers particularly are, are confronted with a big change they know they're having that change and they're looking for help and you know we've seen that with people discovering us from all corners of the internet mm. and the world and reaching out to us um and so that was that was the thing that i was really interested in um how you can support people at these moments and Emma. And-
2: I mean I think for me having kind of gone through it with my mum it was more of a frustration than anything more of a this is ridiculous like why is this not better and I think I think it's just the fact that I think this is where me and Emily are really aligned in, in our, it's the hardest points in someone's life it's these like life-changing moments and so much more could be done. It feels so... No, but it's true. It sounds very trivialised. But yeah, and it's... We spend a lot of energy and and thinking and technical power making a new kind of social media that does X, Y, and Z. Like, why is no one looking at, at these really human, really important moments? And me and Emily have dug into this in more detail. And actually, you can actually change the trajectory of someone's life. So if you start looking at people who are living very healthy, happy Lives at the ages of eighty and ninety, yeah. and you start looking back at the support that they've received in their midlife, you can really see how those big life changes, how supported they were through them, changes the trajectory and the path yeah. that they're on. And actually, there's so many variables. At you know, if you live close to your family, if you have good relationships with your family, how much money you have to spend on help, yeah. all of these factors play into to the possibility of going to kind of get through this. With the least amount of baggage which is a, a horrible phrase but and by by providing a like a universal offering mm-hmm. so that everyone has the same access everyone has this kind of democratized support system i think is really important because now that those factors don't matter it means that everyone is getting this kind of consistent help
0: yeah I, yeah i think you yeah, know when you think about people who have had therapy in their lives or I don't know, they are able to pay to access a service which can help them solve their problem. It doesn't minimise things, it just lifts the burden and the burden is the heaviest thing. I know definitely, like for me, going through kind of grief, I wouldn't have been able to do it without like family or going to going to kind of speak to and see someone. But the nice thing about kind of the losses that I've gone through is that kind of think like the... I, I can think about the positive things, but I know that for a lot of people the death as well as the negative things that happen afterwards are probably quite lingering and long-lasting especially from what you're saying I didn't realize that those things can just shape the trajectory of your life that's that feels quite sad actually I think probably for, for a lot of people but when you talk when you describe like what you do to kind of family members or people who know you well would they have expected you to one Be kind of running a tech startup and to be doing something, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use the term death tech for want of something better. But would they have expected that?
2: Emily, you (coughs) go
1: first. Um, (laughs) My all my friends are like, obviously you're running a tech startup. Um, (laughs) um, uh, You know the friends I went to school. Like, well, you were always (laughs) running things and setting things up. Um, So I don't don't think that's surprising. People, which is you know, take us that's a great compliment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it is. Uh, I think, in terms of this, I've always really personally, I think, played quite a supportive role with a lot in a lot of my relation, in my personal life. So I, I don't think anyone's surprised. I think the particular topic, you know, when you actually, yeah, death is such a loss. But is why? Such I just don't
0: understand. Anyway, that's another thing. You know, but
1: yeah, I have. <laughs> Well, it's, I actually was at a, a kind of... Well, in a slightly pre-COVID world, but at a party. And there were two people I just met who were best friends, two guys. And we were talking. And, you know, they said, what do you do? And you start talking. And one of them was like, oh, yeah, my, my dad died, um, actually, a couple of months ago. And his best friend was sitting next to him. Bear in mind, I just met them both. And he was like, mate, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. What? I know. And I thought... Oh and he was like, Yeah, it just never came up in conversation. I didn't I didn't think to say, like and I just thought this is so terrible. I mean, you know, these are people I've just met and um we're talking about God. something that's so deeply personal yeah. and it had just never come up. So uh
0: yeah, that doesn't explain why, but I think it was just an interesting It just story goes about to show that, like but... how little people want to speak about death. I think like death and anything to do with sex, those are still like the final frontiers for me. I don't know I don't know about you guys, but People still don't want to I'm talk. Happy about. To no, I to talk about. I to talk about <laughs> death, sex, whatever you want to talk about. But I find it's the one thing where people really like clam up, and this mm. is why, for instance, like in VC, femtech has only kind of really become a thing in the last couple of years because people can, in you know, a male-dominated industry, can say periods. You know now, um, <laughs> which I'm sure some of my colleagues will be delighted to hear. But It just feels, once we get over this, there's not much more that we can consider it to be. Yeah. I don't know.
2: I think it's the fear. I really do. I think thanophobia. I think, is the fear of death. But we live in a society where we've pushed death to the fringes of our thinking. And I'm sure, you know, in a few generations back, even my mum would say that death was much more present in her life as a child because any any kind of relative grandparent that died she grew up in liverpool and it was very traditional that there would be an open casket in the living room for like the week prior to the funeral so everyone could come and say goodbye whereas nowadays if you did that that's very unusual um and we've kind of medicalized it and we've pushed Mm. it aside and and all of our thinking is geared towards aging and longevity and how we're kind of beating beating death and we're um, our language around kind of illness yeah. as well is all about how it's this kind of power struggle. And I think if anything that lack of confrontation just fuels this fear of the mm. unknown because it's it's terrifying the fact that we are like this all-knowing, all like right. very technically advanced society and then ultimately one day we're just going to disappear and we can't kind of prepare for yeah. that and that's really like anxiety inducing. Well no one, no one <laughs> um, knows what happens everybody goes yeah and it's just this black hole yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly um and I think yeah I think people are just so terrified by it and so people don't you know plan their funerals they don't want to think about writing down their passwords to pass on to their loved one they don't want to I mean Emily's pretty liberal with this and has already told everyone what her funeral song is going (laughs) to (laughs) be
0: I want to know about it in just a second but
2: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and I think people are just they're just so scared by it they're just rather like kind of awkwardly like hush up then actually talk really liberally and start making decisions about their future we need a musical interlude for
0: our all our funerals (laughs) (laughs) yeah i get definitely i need to i've got a friend that's made some music for this we'll see if it fits but what would your kind of funeral music be just out of interest since we since we brought it up
2: i'll
1: tell you i'll, Emily, tell, you like you need... I'll tell you mine i feel like you need i'm <laughs> Emily. I'm, um, I'm every woman chaka khan <laughs> and i want everyone to wear pink and the thing is it's interesting actually because cross cultures the funerals vary and we've seen examples of um you know for example uh, caribbean culture where um it's more of a celebration of yeah. life but actually what that does uh you know we've seen examples for some people where that's been really healing and for others where actually they've just wanted to cry and found it quite difficult having to be kind of chirpy at a funeral mm. and I, I think uh we actually started looking at different cultural traditions around grief and because there were some really beautiful things that happen across cultures anyway emma what's
0: your funeral what's your sad? Ma- what's your funeral? you go, go, yeah, up. Up. Okay, you go, go first go. mine is the same as mine is the same as my wedding song which will be Earth, Wind and Fire, September, because it's a great song. Oh, it's such a great song. <laughs> so oh, good. that's really lovely. It's good. It's good. I it won't be too sad for people, but I just think it's a song that I really enjoy. It's Also, it was the 21st of September, not two days ago. It's front of mind.
2: Oh, that's really lovely. I'm so in the camp of people that are scared of their own death. Um, <laughs> so I don't think about this. I. Do you know what? When I was a teenager... I said to my friends that I wanted it to be Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls, which is the most kind of classic teenager, like, emotional song. I don't think I want it to okay, be that okay, anymore. Okay.
0: It's on the record
2: <laughs> Last time I made this decision, it was that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, it's, it's good to normalise it, though. So yeah. have a think about your... I just think of it as what would I want my favourite song to be? What would, like, the greatest hits of me, and I guess... That's a song which always makes me happy, so that's what, kind of what I picked it. Rather mm. than this is my fu- this is the funeral song. This is like this song. Um, yeah, and
2: everyone's gonna cry.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> they'll be like, you know. Actually, speaking about cultural traditions, like in some cultures, you you hire people to cry. Professional, saunas, professional mourners. Yeah, wailers. Yeah. yeah, is that in um, Chinese culture? In in some areas of China, or I think. I think. Um,
2: oh gosh, someone. I think. Um, I think it is Ghanaian yeah and maybe also some Asian mm. cultures as well because w- yeah with them um,
0: so my family I'm half Cambodian half Indian you can see that people can't hear it um, <laughs> <laughs> but like with Indian funerals you'd have that kind of open casket but you also have this thing where you take the person back to where they lived so it will be, like, in their home. So it's almost like you're, mm. you're paying your final respects to them in their home because then you see them as a person. Um,
2: yeah. yeah. With with my grandma, when my grandma died, she was an avid Marks & Spencer shopper. She loved Marks & Spencers <laughs> and was known by all the staff. And when she died, her sister put, wrapped up a Marks & Spencers bag in a receipt and put it in her pocket for when she was... Oh. Um, <laughs> in the chapel of rest so she was buried with a martin spencer
0: oh sweet it's so sweet
2: yeah it was really sweet and i think it just gave their family like something quite light-hearted and sweet to just focus on yeah. and be like nah I will be happy yeah, with we'll that just, yeah all we'll just
0: things like <laughs> don't make sure he's got a pair of socks it's like yeah, I'm yeah. it's really really strange yeah i don't know like uh, the, the, i'll i won't I'll talk about death much longer for personal kind of things around death but with my granddad, a really funny thing happened, which was, I think at the funeral home they were like, "Oh, we'll, we'll need his like dentures," and for the life of us couldn't find them any. And then there was oh, this no. like small, oh God, it was like a, this is the kind of person he was. Went up to, and then there was this little box like a Flora Proactive old kind of plastic tub and the, his teeth were in there and I found it so funny we were all like dying dying <laughs> with laughter and the thing is that he would have been the person who found that the funniest just because yeah. you have a good laugh and it's, it's like those small things that you want to remember exactly and, yeah.
2: and I think that's the thing you can be having literally the worst day of your life like someone very close to you funeral, you know, but you will find entertainment in those tiny things because it's just it's so kind of one one emotion to the next and i think lots of people have those experiences yeah. but we had a
1: well this is kind of personal my you,
0: you know, could my make it personal family. no one
1: wants to know about me <laughs> it's just another like story about go, go. Have, i'm jewish and in judaism you have a shiver which is like a seven day grieving morning period everyone comes around to the house and you often serve brandy so my grandma is like the world's biggest hoarder i mean she found in her freezer a cake a pie that her her mom had made who'd be dead for 10 years at that point. oh my gosh
0: was, no way <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wartime generation, you know. Save yeah. Life. Anyway, so Grandma finds finds us be- this f- just before the funeral, and it was just her and I, and we were setting up the house, house um, for for when everyone came back to the house after the funeral. And she found this bottle of brandy and insisted that it was, you know, great condition, and we could all drink it. And took the cork out, and obviously it crumbled; the whole cork crumbled into the brandy. No. So that she like, we not want not with we're, we're we're using this brandy, yeah. so. In a strange, delirious, kind of grief stricken state. She went into the other room and found a, um, one of the sterile gauzes that my grandpa had been, you know, one of those packs of sterile gauzes that had been used to my grandpa used to die at home. And then we strained the brandy through a sterile gauze into, the- into the One of those moments, like, and we were both laughing, but it was so disgusting. I was like, oh, we don't need to serve this. She's like, yes, we do. And then <laughs> I had brandy later, and I was I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone. So hopefully, no one who was at the shiver. Wall. Yeah,
0: hopefully not. Gosh, oh, wow. it just like crumbled right into it, and then you just.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we had, anyway. So we had a sterile ball filled with a bit of brandy and cork. Oh, that is
0: dedication
2: to that bottle of
0: brandy, and, and that's the kind of thing you look back on in a couple of years, and you're just like. Wait, we did that? I don't, we didn't even need yeah. to do it, it's just, but it feels like so <laughs> urgent, does not it? Yeah. That's, That's amazing. it? so funny. You must come across some really great stories, like we've been discussing, when you're talking to some of the people that are on your platform. Can you think of, can you think of anything that has been a real challenge for you that someone has put your way, like a customer has put your way?
1: I mean, we obviously do have well, our customer group is vulnerable, so we and we have very robust safeguarding policies. We have a safeguarding lead who's a national safeguarding officer for the Samaritans, a trained therapist. Um, but we, you know, have on occasion had high risk customers who, and you. Know, this is a topic where we create safe spaces for people to talk about the challenges that come with loss yeah. and people do talk about you know not wanting to go on and life not having meaning and there is something very healthy about creating the space for people to be able to voice those thoughts because they are thoughts people have where we have to intercept is when they the thoughts are potentially going to become action and at that point obviously we're dealing with vulnerable people and we have to escalate that so and and that's why we have our our safeguarding in place but I think that's that's been something that has come up a couple of times and it's something that we are aware of and um, that's from a very deep kind of emotional perspective. Yeah, of I don't know if Anne, you've got something lighter in there like
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good one because it shows that the last thing you want to do to someone who's grieving or in any emotional yeah. place is to start, start censoring them because that's when that's why people turn to these kind of what feel like niche communities because they don't have places in normal society to talk about their feelings and we see that time and time again that you know maybe someone's husband or wife died a year ago and they just don't feel like they can talk about it to their friends anymore because their friends have got sick of it and told them to get over it um so it's it's really nice to see that actually there are these safe Mm -hmm. spaces that they can you know they can talk about their loved one as much as they want and the other people in the group find that really affirming and reassuring Mm -hmm. so i think it goes to show that that yeah grief is not that accepted in (laughs) it's not that commonplace and it's not that accepted in normal society Mm -hmm. and normal conversation because it just makes the other person in the conversation feel very awkward and they kind of shut it down really quickly because they out of fear of not knowing what to say and not knowing what to Mm do
1: something else that actually surprised us a bit and we're still in fairly early days but we made assumptions about you know who would need the most financial or household or practical help and actually we've seen quite consistently across our age ranges and and users the need for help with those uh you know with things like accounts or administering an estate or paying inheritance tax um because you've got children helping parents and parents helping their elderly parents um so that's been a bit of a surprise for us and you know we're tracking that and understanding understanding how those dynamics play out and how do you track
0: some of those those things
2: (laughs) emily quoted it the other day as a beautiful data set and i think i'll take that to my grave (laughs) 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 so having um yeah having a business strategist head and a software (laughs) engineer head means we're like really hot on our organization and our data and our tracking (laughs) so we've got these like amazing spreadsheets that feed into our database um that track you know the things that people are asking for against our assumptions of what they would need whether our assumptions are true or not um and you know we're constantly building out this really rich data set and as we said earlier We have to take this really holistically and we have to view these people as kind of complete humans. And I think it's so important when capturing this data is that we're looking at the nuances. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not just saying, you know, person aged 50 needs help with this done. We're really collecting and understanding and digging into this. Um, And that data ultimately um, we use as our recommender system for our products Mm -hmm. so that we know that we can source the right bespoke user journey for someone so that they're getting this right help at the right time Mm
0: -hmm. wow gorgeous data did someone say (laughs) scalable that sounds amazing (laughs) no i mean it's true i think the thing is that if you don't have these things set up it's really hard to like reverse engineer and go back to okay what can we pick through from all of this if you're not doing it from the start so i am like big fan as somebody who is like I'm like a, I would say I'm a fan from a distance of all of these <laughs> things that, you know, are designed to kind of collect data because I'm like, that would be so useful. And I'm like, no, mm. look at me and my chaos. It's just the best. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I guess w- one kind of question that I always get asked and I'm really curious about um, as well with founders is, you know, what is kind of your perception of failure now compared to when you were in like regular jobs
2: interesting um I think failure is such an interesting one and for for me, and I think like me looking at us our our failure our version of failure almost hangs on our perfectionism. Mm. Which we get told quite often that we're perfectionists, um, and we're really pushing through those barriers of what we're like. Oh, we need to like do this more and more fully and properly. And I think that's been a huge learning curve for us in the last um, couple of months. Is actually, is actually sometimes it's okay to leave things quite scrappy yeah. and like iteration and coming back to them and moving fast. Yeah. And I think. Um, And that, for us, is it feels like something that we've really worked through. Um, And what might feel like failure in in a moment, you know, if if our, I don't know, our deck isn't as beautiful as it could be or our spreadsheet isn't complete as it could be for that moment, actually, the more compound effects of getting through more stuff, being more agile, being more responsive, is actually a long-term gain.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you never want your perfectionism to kind of get in the way of all the other good stuff um, that you could be doing. And for the record, I think your deck's pretty great. So, um... (laughs) Thanks! I mean, the thing is, I was looking through, because you gave it to me to kind of give some feedback, and I was like, oh, no, there's definitely some areas of feedback. But actually, it was like, hmm, there's like 10 slides where I've written nothing. This is great, you know? So, uh, so, (laughs) that was pretty amazing. But has your perfectionism, do you think, ever got in the way of things, either during kind of doing stuff with Untangled or, like, before?
1: It's, you know what's funny? So, Emma and I have a. The way perfectionism manifests is different mm. in us. It's something. We're like a bloody couple. How does it manifest in you? Yeah. So, my perfectionism, <laughs> Emma loves personality type tests. So oh my God, makes...
2: I literally love them. <laughs> but
1: for me, um, I'm incredibly self critical and will. Um, kind of want to see something through to very fine detail and you know whether that means working until an incredibly late one night or um, on the weekend which we try not to do but the so what what the thing that I've often you know I've been fighting I guess um, is knowing when good is good enough Um, and in some cases you know it's being able to identify this is something that does need to be perfect you know we need to get Make sure the copy on the website is clear and it's uh, well written and it's concise, and those things matter. Mm. But then there are some things when actually you're doing it in order to learn or in order to, it's a stepping stone, and knowing that actually it's not about the end deliverable, it's about a process for those things. So recognizing where to be a perfectionist and where not to be a perfectionist, Mm. and where to say this is good enough for what we're Mm. trying to understand and achieve. Um, I think it's quite we've discussed this a lot quite a female trait as well this idea that you have to always be the Mm -hmm. best and um, and it's something we're trying to unlearn uh, you know as we're pitching and we're we're raising money at the moment actually being able to say we know we know our stuff we know where we're trying to get to and um, and we believe in it and we can see that there's a huge commercial opportunity and and actually um, having the confidence to not pull that apart almost yeah (laughs) Um,
2: yeah I'm really bad for spending time formatting internal documents. that about <laughs> Two people will ever see.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, they look gorgeous.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, each each to their own. I think with internal documents and stuff like that, yeah, okay, maybe good is good enough. But like you mentioned with the copy, like that does kind of have to be pretty spot on and did did. And on that point, I think, you know, a lot of people that work uh, in or have set up kind of companies that are taboo, so dealing with taboo topics, how do you make that copy inviting or, you know, um, sensitive, interesting? Is that something that you guys did yourselves or did you hire someone in to help you? So we, a lot of
1: the the language we've used actually came out of initial interviews so we interviewed about 100 people um at the start of this year who worked who either had worked in this space or had had losses mm-hmm. and more than us actually but the and from that you know keywords and phrases come up all the mm-hmm. time so a lot of the language we used was just lifted directly from talking to people um, that were experiencing this and then we've also been working with Kristen who is an amazing copywriter she used to work for Amnesty International and um, you know she's had her own experiences and
0: she's helped us really craft that that way of communicating as well and when it comes to um, I guess things that things always go wrong right every day Um, what was the last kind of big thing that went wrong and how do you as either as a pair or individually that deal with it. That's a really good question.
2: sure you know what whenever I say that's a really good question, I think about my counsellor always responds with, they're all really good questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> so my head <laughs> <laughs> They're all really they're all... <laughs> good questions. <laughs> um wow.
1: I was thinking the, the dashboard freezing, Emma.
2: <laughs> oh my God, yeah, it's been a nightmare. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we got some work, um, some dev work uh, done from an offshore team yeah. and it worked perfectly up into a certain amount of users and then it stopped working oh. perfectly and it just started to really laggy and really um, buggy and it's very frustrating. And again, it's one of those things where you have to weigh up how pressing this is right now versus how pressing everything else is right now so it was on the back burner for a few weeks and it was one of those frustrations we kind of had to put up with for a while um because it just wasn't the priority and now this week it's it's getting fixed and i think it's almost done so that feels really really um exciting But I think, yeah, working out um, how we deal, so to answer your question about how we deal with it, I think we've got a lot better. And also this ties into the perfectionism as well, not understanding we can't do everything amazingly Mm -hmm. on all fronts is to really assess how important things are. um, And by being super clear on our vision and super clear on our mission and being very consumer focused and driven by our community and our customers, it makes those decisions of weighing up and prioritizing a lot easier um and we communicate a lot we talk extensively yeah. <laughs> um, so you know we're in calls a lot of the day we're on slack um we whatsapp we have a lot of um at least once a week we have a kind of free form just chat about the just business the which is where yeah, just yeah. we obviously have a lot of team meetings as well, but it's quite nice for me and Emily to have. We both have a walk at the same time, and it's it's not scheduled. It's not um, doesn't have an agenda. We just talk very freely yeah. and things that we're kind of concerned about or worried about or those niggling feelings in the back of our minds. And actually, that works in quite a preventative yeah. way because. Sometimes there's a thought and it's not really been formed yet. And you're like, oh, I'm a bit worried about this. And then we kind of talk it through and pull it apart. And then we actually realize that, oh, actually, we could start to um, action this off the back of that. Um, So, yeah, for example, this morning, Emily was saying, I don't feel like I have quite a clear view of this certain thing. And I and then when she expressed it to me, I was like, oh, that's super easy. I can literally do that for you today. And that was kind of preempting a problem or a feeling that Emily might have that might have snowballed in Emily and then it's kind of been brought out and and fixed Mm. most instantly Mm.
1: one of the things um as well so we work the team we have an amazing team and we work in obviously in sprints Mm. and we always do kind of sprint retro about how we've worked um and kind of discuss any any priorities and how and and challenges that have come up i mean you know that's kind of good good team running but it, it means that Actually, we were quite resilient and adaptable as a team. And I think going back to your earlier question about the difference between potentially working in a corporate environment and then this kind of startup environment is realistically, you can plan as perfectly as you like, but you have to be responsive. And you know in a corporate often there is you're working in waterfall there's a clear deliverable it doesn't really matter if it works or not you just have to deliver the project um and it's recognizing that this is a different way of thinking so even though we've got how well we see the next year planned out um we know that things change and by having being quite agile and open as a team means that you can adapt to those changes and Shifts
0: in priority. Yeah, I remember when you were telling me, uh, uh, you know, I think in our last longer catch up about the fact that you guys are walking and talking and stuff together. That's because I work with um, my friend Emma on like life plus stuff, you know, outside of work, and you know, that's that's why it's it's fun. We we enjoy doing what we do, but um, she is in Tokyo, so the time zone thing is a real like issue. And actually, on a Thursday, we're just, like, in the morning. So I'll be, like, having my breakfast and she's, like, cracking open the wine. And we'll have, like, a really... <laughs> but that, I think that that's it. You have to have those times where you're not, you're not talking about the business or you're not talking about, kind of, the idea that you're working on, but kind of you are and you sort of problem-solve together. I think that's, like, the best mm-hmm. way, for sure. Um, just to kind of, like, keep things normal. Yeah,
2: yeah definitely. I think as well because there's there's two head spaces there there's the co-founder relationship and also there's just like the two people that spend a lot of time together yeah, yeah. so I think nurturing both sides of those things um is really important and still having the chat that are like how are you feeling how was last night how was your weekend how was that thing that you were worried about yeah. um and also because if you can understand the person fully you can then understand you know they might be stressed today therefore they might not get everything on their to-do list yeah. done and therefore you know it's really important <laughs> we see our customers holistically we need to see ourselves and our team holistically as yeah, well completely. so I think making time for those things is really important and especially
0: during this time as well when we're not always together um you know yeah. it, it, it makes up like, the world of difference well look, I've taken up loads of your time but um do you have anything that you're I've got one last question and then like one thing you can go ahead and like plug away um uh, what are you really excited about for in the next six months so
1: i mean we're at a stage now where we are growing our offering in the sense that we are able to support more people we have the infrastructure in place so i think what's really exciting is being able to really help more people Mm -hmm. at these hard moments in their lives and um, you know we've done a lot of ground setting up the groundwork we've moved very quickly to get the app live and the email service live so I think it's really exciting to be able to see this um, kind of growing and, and helping people and you know when we see the messages from our community saying you know, thank you for this and I wouldn't have been able to do this without you that's when you know this is working uh, so that that excites me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think, I think a similar thing for me. I feel like we've spent a lot of time getting the basics, like the foundations laid, um, getting our technology running, our safeguarding principles. Mm. Um, we've really kind of put a lot of time and effort into that. And now we're at this position where we can start reaching out to so many more people and we can start helping so many more people. And that feels really exciting. It feels like the moment we've been waiting for, um... So yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good couple of months, I think. Exciting.
0: So and where can we find you? Where can me and all seven people that listen to this find you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> all seven people, and then all the people that they know who've had a loss that they're going Absolutely. to tell them to go. To their <laughs> and then all those people um, who hear about don't be. One of the big things, actually, speaking about the taboo, is people are really shy about talking to people about death and recommending yeah. things, but. Take it from a community of people that have had losses. Actually, book recommendations are helpful, podcast recommendations are helpful, service recommendations are helpful. Yeah. Um, so don't be afraid to make those recommendations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes that's actually more helpful than sending a plant. Plants are nice too. Um, <laughs> so you can you can find out um, www.untangle U-N-T-A-N-G-L-E grief G-R-I-E-F com and <laughs> On there is uh, you can sign up to our email service, our um, app, and also we have an upcoming exhibition in collaboration with the Grief Case um, on uh, artworks talking uh, about modern mourning. So
0: that's coming soon as well. Very cool, and you're on Instagram and all that jazz as well.
1: Yeah, at, at Untangle Grief. Amazing.